My guest today is the lead guitarist and main songwriter for progressive metal group Redemption, who have a brand new album out called The Art of Loss. I'd like to welcome Nick Van Dyke. Hey, how are you? Pleasure to speak with you. Pleasure to speak with you. You know, it's, um, people occasionally ask me, oh, you've, you've, you've got this cancer diagnosis in your family and your career, and how, how do you do it? And I think we're seeing today that it's not very easy. <laughs> I'm run behind a lot of times, so I apologize for, uh, for the delay, but I'm happy to speak with you. I want to talk a little bit about the things that do make you so busy, with, and I want to get to that a little bit, but let's jump into uh, the new album, the new Redemption album. Um, yes. uh, Art of Loss, your first since 2011. Uh, you know, tell us a story about uh, the, the time sort of in between albums and what brought you guys back. Sure. Well, there, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, we had gotten into a rhythm of releasing a record every couple of years, and it, didn't, it never seemed for a minute that we weren't busy um, because we, we finished touring in support of Mortal Coil. It took a long time to get our, you know, for whatever reason, we always have a variety of, uh, of interesting malfunctions that occur, leaving aside biology for a minute. And, you know, as an example, when we were recording Mortal Coil, the studio that our producer picked in Chicago to reamp our leads was literally struck by lightning and power blew out for three days. Mm. So that's the type of thing that just occasionally happens to us. And we had hard drive issues and file conversion issues and all sorts of Final Cut Pro issues and issues after issues with that live DVD. So it took quite some time to get that finished. Um, by the time that was done, I was into writing, but Ray does have this other little band called Fate's Warning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been very active. So he was touring in support of, well, first there was recording and then touring in support of Darkness in a Different Light, which I think is a fabulous record. Um, so we managed eventually to... Um, to have everything coalesce, and once we, you know, once once Ray was back, and I was able to focus on this without worrying about that live album anymore, it actually moved relatively quickly. So, and then, you know, unfortunately, we um, were also delayed by the tragedy of what happened to Bernie. Didn't slow us down that much. It took us, some, you know, it, it happened while I was writing the music, and by the time we were ready to do leads, it was evident to us that Bernie wasn't going to be able to to do it. So once we decided that we were going to need guests, it took a couple of months to to figure out who we were going to use and when we were going to be able to use them. You can't just call Marty Friedman and have him you know, record something the next day. It takes weeks to schedule. So um, that played a, a part, but not a, not a major part. Um, and then by the time, the last factor, I guess, would be we were rushed on the last album from the time we entered the studio to the time we got released because we had scheduled tour dates and we needed something to sell at the show. And, you know, it's always a good idea to tour in support of an album that's been released as opposed to one that's not going to be released for until two months after your tour's done. So right. this time we wanted to do it the right way, which was to deliver the album, have a minute to take a breath, let the label plan the release schedule, get some long lead press, and this is why we were able to do a video time of the release and a lyric video and a you know, have this the rollout the way we've done it. So that probably added a little bit of time. So between all those factors, it wound up taking us uh, three and a half years from the release of our last product, which was the live DVD. I don't want to take that long again, but <laughs> that's that's where we were and what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, did some of it have play into uh, signing with Metal Blade as your new label, sort of getting that situated? You know, it's it. Not as much as you might think. Um, the Inside Out guys were great. We had a really good association with them. I did three terrific records together, and I have nothing but nice words to say about them. Um, and we weren't, it wasn't a contentious 
departure, our, our contract was up and we were starting to talk with them about what might come next. And I've known the Metal Blade family for a long time socially, and I you know I try not to impose upon friends, so I had I deliberately not really approached them hmm. in the past. Uh, but Tracy Vera, Joey Vera's wife, who's a very senior person at the label, is a friend, and she came to me and said, "Oh, if you're thinking of you know when your contract's up, come talk to us," uh, because you know she and a couple other people there are, are big fans of our music, and you know Metal Blade is a f- phenomenal label, one of the one of the iconic labels in the history of heavy music and um, yeah. you know they're very 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 good at what they do and they're, they're just they just sort of they operate in a, in a in a different world than most of the rest of the indies so I, I can already tell that they're, the scope of what they're able to accomplish is, is greater than a lot of other companies and hopefully that will translate into us getting a little bit more exposure and connecting with a few more fans yeah it seems like uh, like it would be a good fit with, uh, with your, your so music so far so good do, yeah we're not, you know, grindcore people that are going to be touring with cattle decapitation, but I think there's <laughs> home for us on the label nonetheless. <laughs> One of the best band names ever, I think. So, uh, album comes out this Friday, uh, February twenty sixth. Yeah, right. Oh, that's right. It is today. Does the title have a have a specific meaning? Is the album about loss coming from something, or you know, sort of that general? You know, it's funny. Vibe they, of writing? They, there is a pattern to it that was not premeditated necessarily. Um, I can't remember if I had the song idea or the or the idea of using it for the title first. I think I had the song written first because we were kicking around Hope Dies Last as a possible title and I think there was and maybe Add Days End as a possible title. Um but I remember <laughs> I remember the conversation I had with Ray. I'm like, What do you think about calling the record the art of loss? And he paused for me and he goes, I don't know, it's kinda of bleak. <laughs> and but you know, it's heavy metal. We're not gonna That's right. as I've said, we're not gonna sing about unicorns, only Rhapsody does that. So um it's uh it's you know, it's 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 consistent with our music, which is, you know, a little bit melancholic. There's a fundamental positivity to usually the, the way our records resolve. But um you know, the human condition is one that's fragile and one that is, you know, the one of their, if there's a theme to the record, it's that living life the way it's meant to be lived inevitably involves some pain and learning to contextualize that and grow from it rather than let it destroy you is is critical to leading a healthy life and that if you make decisions not out of fear of losing something but out of love for whatever that decision is whether it's a career move or a family move or a friendship or a relationship it's that you know, that leads to a more healthy engagement with you know yourself and the world around you so that's a bunch of psychobabble gobbledygook <laughs> but that's kind of what kind of what the record's about that's perfect you know i'm always fascinated by bands that started you know a little while ago before kind of the the um, the end of the record misses as they the call it, the utter collapse of the music yeah, business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it, you know it, it has an effect on uh, on the 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 money that goes into an album, the how you record. You know you it, you don't have a studio that you live in for a month. So how has that changed for you guys? Was it are you guys emailing files and recording via cross country or you know has it changed along those lines? No, because we, you know, when we got into it, there wasn't a whole lot of money in it to begin with, and we were, you know, we're we're never going to be Bon Jovi, we're never going to be Iron Maiden, 
So it's we're we're an obscure band in an obscure genre of music to begin with, where the you know really Dream Theater and I guess Symphony X are kind of exceptions to the rule. Queensrÿche is sort of its own animal, even before the curious events of the last several years. So there aren't a lot of bands that make our type of music that are anything more than small bands to begin with, and there's never been a lot of money in being a small band. But um, And so from the beginning, particularly when we were even smaller and hadn't yet sort of broken, which kind of happened around in two phases when Ray joined and then when we toured on the next record with Dream Theater, um, we never really had a lot of money, never really got big advances, and always had to record, you know, not quite guerrilla style, but you know, making making use of what we had rather than you know going out and spending a lot of money. Um, so that hasn't really changed. Um, you know, I have a home studio. We typically track everything except drums in that home studio. What has happened over the years is I've gotten better equipment. So the guitar sound is better on this record than anything we've done, and that's not by accident. It's because I bought a bunch of great equipment that works in the particular recording environment that we use. Um, but you know, generally speaking, the recording process has been certainly since fullness has been pretty similar. I write the stuff, I send a very rough versions of it, which may or may not have a rough bass line and may or may not have um, you know melody sung to nonsense lyrics like la 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 la, right. and people will give me notes on it. I'll tweak it, I'll send it back out, and then if people like what they hear, then we then I'll do final guitar parts, final keyboard parts. We'll bring in the bass. It's a tough job for our drummer because he comes last and he has to play pretty perfectly in time to the click track. And then we'll bring in Ray because, like all lead singers, he wants to have everything else done before he steps into the booth. So, <laughs> but you know, it's a little, it would be different if we had a unlimited time and unlimited money. Um, but this is the kind of the only, this is how we've settled into doing it and it seems to work. You know, the, the style of the album is, is the usual uh, style you guys are known for. Uh, you know, hard hitting rock and stuff. Um, there is a the the twenty two minute epic at the end at day's end that you referred to, which is killer, and and also a surprising cover of a Who classic. So why'd you choose that song to do? So we've we've always tried to do, you know, even back to our self titled original quasi demo release where we did a police song. We've always tried to cover songs that you wouldn't expect a heavy metal metal band to do which is in fact the name of our bonus disc on the last album is comically titled a collection of songs one would not expect to hear from a progressive metal band <laughs> so um it, i i you know hallowed be thy name is arguably my favorite song in the world i don't need to hear another version of that other than what iron maiden did it's kind of a perfect song the way they did it right. so i don't want to just go out there and cover other hard rock and heavy metal songs that are just sort of obvious choices so usually that'll lead us to, you know, classic rock or even like some new wave stuff that's done in a different style. Although Depeche Mode's been sort of done to death, which is why we haven't done any of their stuff. But um, I had also had, the, you know, I've always loved this Who song, and I know John Bush socially, and I'd always had this notion that God, he, that, you know, if you're going to do that song, you have to crush the vocal because it's probably the most iconic performance in the history of rock music and if you can't do the vocal justice then you have no business doing the song and there aren't many people that could do it including frankly Ray because it requires a, a good amount of grit and gravel and it also requires somebody really leaning into the you know emotion of the delivery almost to the point where if you don't absolutely crush it it's silly 
Um, yeah. But John has the grit and the gravel and the, the emotional will to sort of throw himself into it. And I, I, as we were tracking, I'm like, if your voice isn't cracking, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> and that's that wouldn't work with Ray because that's not the style of his voice and it's not what he wants to sound like. But John gets it and he absolutely, absolutely crushes it. Yeah, that was great. And referring to, of course, uh, Love Rain Over Me, which uh, we forgot to mention the title. Um, yep. But that's definitely uh, one we're checking out. Going back to mentioning your, you know, what you do as a day job and full time, you're heavily involved in technology, and I want to sort of brush that in with how does your view of the music business and and the effect technology has had on it marry with with what you do? Uh, not not that it's music related, but you know, some musicians aren't open to that. But maybe you might be more to the technology that's affected, if that makes any sense. To to reframe a little bit, I, I'm facile with technology but i don't really do technology i'm uh i've, I've for many years worked and now that i'm not there anymore i can talk about it more freely i worked at the walt disney company and their corporate strategy and mergers and acquisitions group so i had a hand in the acquisition of pixar and the acquisition of marvel and the acquisition of lucas as well as plotting strategies for espn and you know everything the company does um it's a fat, it was a fascinating place the, one of the most amazing companies in the world and of course technology is so integral to every piece of the media business that of course you get exposed to it and so i would look at the implications of you know the of, of the internet on on the transmission of digital content from a strategic standpoint and how it would impact disney right um you know the like the decision to you know it's so obvious now but when we were working on it 12 years ago it wasn't that obvious that you should be selling movies through itunes um and you know i think the the filmed entertainment business has thus far avoided at least some of the pitfalls of what happened in the music business because mostly they've tried to create product offerings to consumers that consumers find valuable. But I think there will continue to be pressures from technology-empowered consumers that um, are going to erode existing business models. So now I'm using psychobabble in an entirely different <laughs> No, context. I love this kind of stuff. So so let me let me bring it back to what I do now. I work yeah. for a company called Activision, which is a big video game company. But again, right. I'm not on the technology side. I'm running a film and television business that is taking our intellectual property and making movies and TV shows out of it. So in three years' time, when Call of Duty is a feature film, that'll be, for better or worse, um, you can hold me responsible for that. <laughs> um, hopefully it's good. Um so, you know, I would say I've observed, as I just mentioned, from a sort of strategic standpoint, what what the transition to digital distribution and digital content creation has has um, imposed upon existing ways of doing business. Um, and you know, the reality is, it's inevitably going to happen. And the media and entertainment business has, for years, um, again, to use psycho babble, monetize the frictions between what consumers want and what they're allowed to get. A good example is in the movie business, you have what's called windowing. So right. you want to see Deadpool, you're going to see it, you're going to pay $14 and you're going to see it in the theater. And then three months later, you'll be able to watch it on pay-per-view. And then three months after that, you'll be able to get it on home entertainment platforms. And then six months after that, you can watch it on HBO. And then a year and a half after that, it maybe makes its way to free television. But you're going to watch it when we say you're going to watch it on the device that we tell you you're going to watch <laughs> it, and you're going to pay what we tell you it's priced at that time. And what technology has empowered consumers to do is say, screw you, I want this on all of my devices and I want it now and I'm going to pay for it what I think it's worth or I'm going to get it for nothing. And, you know, that's simply the way of the world. 
so as pertains music you know there's a lot less of an opportunity to make money from selling a record um and it just is what it is there's nothing written in stone that says recording artists have a right to expect that they can be rich by releasing music so we can either not make music or we can release it knowing that what would have sold 200,000 records 15 years ago is going to sell 20,000 records and right. you know it's a bummer I'd love to be able to have sold 200,000 records but I'd rather sell 20,000 than nothing and um, you know we sort of are where we are and it's also driven down the. Co- I mean what I'm able to accomplish in my house part time would have cost $150,000 20 years ago in a major studio right so you know, both of those things are falling. What's what's really happening is that any Tom, Dick, and Harry can make a record now. And there's there used to be a role for the labels to cultivate artists and to have a sort of farm system and bring the best ones up and let them grow over time and build their careers. And the you know that doesn't happen anymore. And I do think that maybe it doesn't ever need to happen. You know what what we've seen in the movie business, and people sometimes lament this that you have these huge blockbuster movies that everybody in the world has to see and it's a, an event film and then you've got a million and one tiny little movies that find their little specialty audience um, but don't really you know don't really have the budget to, to really push filmmaking and there's not a lot in the middle so if I think of music you know you look at who's making money on tour it's you know it's Iron Maiden Black Sabbath and it's tiny little bands eking out an existence in a van going you know venue to venue even the biggest bands in that genre with very rare exception they're doing okay but they're not you know they're not making a lot of money um and there's sort of nobody in between so you can wring your hands about it or you can realize that that's the way of doing business and you know we're we're never going to reach you know 200,000 records a year or it's just not going to happen but we're happy you know we're happy reaching our audience do you think the the music model right now is has found itself yet, or it's still something else is coming down? Yeah, you know, I think it's sort of it's reached it's pretty close to its bottom. I mean, hardly anybody pays for anything, right? And the people that do have, um, you know, either either an affinity for artists or like owning physical media or having a you know a, a nostalgic attachment, as I do. I mean, there's there's no leaving aside the value judgment of it there is no denying that it used to be a more special experience to you know I had the great pleasure of of recording with Chris Poland on this record and I remember hearing a couple of months in advance through whatever network we had at the time because it wasn't online that uh, Megadeth was coming out with an album called Peace Cells but it was buying and then the news sort of percolated and, and, and built in excitement until we knew that on a certain day it was going to be released and I remember exactly where I was. I remember the record store that I went to, and I remember buying that album, and going out, if, I, if memory serves, I bought that album, and Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden on the same day. I went home, and you sit in your room, and you open the album up, and you listen to the record ten times in a row, and you've got the lyrics in front of you, and you memorize everything, and you immerse yourself in it. And again, I'm not saying that's necessarily better or worse than it is today. Music today is completely disposable. There's so much of it and it is so far removed from sitting down with that record and dimming your lights and just concentrating on that and learning everything yeah. uh, that it's, it's just a different experience. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that coming back, by the way, with the resurgence in vinyl, which is, you know, I think has proven to be more than just a fad. Um, but we'll have to see. 
That's sort of like uh, the the indie movie level, I, I, I suppose that that people still like. Yeah, but, that's exactly uh, right. But uh, it is very cool. Listen, uh, really, really a pleasure to speak with you, man. Um, the album's killer. It comes out uh, like today, like February twenty sixth, and uh, the Art of Loss. Good to have you guys back as a band. And again, um, th- thank you for taking some time. Thank you. Pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, man. Bye. All right, take care. Thanks to Nick for the interview. We're going to close with the title track off the new album, The Art of Loss. For upcoming news and interviews, check out theprogreport.com, follow us on Facebook, at The Prog Report on Twitter, or download the podcast on iTunes. Thanks. Oh